0: Welcome into episode number 145, the Huskies Warming House podcast back in the middle of January this Sunday, a little bit later on Sunday, of course, because of some travel things, the NHL gives us no rest. Although, as soon as I say that, I realize that Nick and I are both off next weekend when it comes to work for that. So that's exciting, I guess. Um, is it Saturday or Sunday? It feels like it's one big day. Oh, it's right. It kind of is. <laughs> might, might be Wednesday. I don't even know. Uh, the voice you're hearing is Nick Maxon, joining myself, Noah Grant. We were supposed to have Matt Cullen on this. No, I'm totally kidding. But of course, we are going to talk about uh him and other things related to men's hockey they had an interesting week uh we talked about how the cc tigers were going to make some noise in the nchc we kind of just hoped it was going to be against someone else nonetheless uh with that being said uh, women's hockey back in action Tough weekend for them as well. Uh, Hockey Day Minnesota news and the opener of our show, and then Minnesota Wild stuff to close out the regular portion of the show. They had a pretty decent week, all things considered, uh, increasing their gap on the Colorado Avalanche behind them. And then the extra ice session, we're going to stick with NHL news. Rumors about Matt Dumba maybe finally being moved for the 27,000th and 48th time. Uh, and then Vancouver, are they the biggest dumpster fire in the NHL? I think we're going to try to i think we're going to try to answer that question but nonetheless we start as always with center ice view news and notes in the huskies illustrated weekly roundup center ice view news and notes center ice view provides you with the best coverage of st cloud state huskies hockey from game notes recaps photos and more go to centericeview.com
1: Centerized View news and notes here, Noah, on this Sunday afternoon. Hey, it's it's a Vikings playoff Sunday, too. Um, I'm ready to get heartbroken, so here we go. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it says more heartbreaking news, or maybe not so heartbreaking news. Um, I'll be calling Hockey Day Minnesota here for St. Cloud Women's Hockey. Uh, that finally was made publicly um, available just a couple of days ago. Uh, for those who kind of don't, uh, we'll, we'll shed a little window how this works. So this has been... Uh, sort of been gaining traction for almost a month now. Um, a lot of these, uh, the big thing was accra- was essentially acquiring the rights from Big Ten Plus. So Big Ten Plus has an exclusivity agreement with the WCHA uh, to stream a lot of their games. So to, for Bally's to be able to get it on their schedule, and then obviously getting the production crew, everybody else for that game uh, takes time. So uh, when I got the call, of course, you don't say no to Hockey Day super excited about it it's uh St. Claude State women's against Bemidji State um we'll obviously dive into that exact matchup a little bit later probably next week but uh uh, some important points on the board and yeah, ha- happy to be a part of that broadcast. That's really exciting.
0: Yeah, it, it is exciting. Obviously I'll be at home on the couch watching. Um, but with that being said, I mean, Cheap notes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a, I, actually funny. I have my hockey day, Minnesota, uh 10 year anniversary shirt up here from Duluth, Minnesota back in 2016. So, uh, nice. certainly, certainly has been a really cool event that has continued on through that tradition. I think the first one back, uh, in 2007, 2006, 2007. Yep. So, uh, uh, pretty good event that has continued to grow over the years and become really a mainstay if you're a Minnesota hockey fan in general. So I think it's really cool that you're going to be a part of that. Obviously um, I, if I don't sound massively excited, it's because I knew <laughs> well, <laughs> well, well, but well before our listeners did. So uh, of course uh, we've hashed that out and it's really exciting, of course, but I, you know, it's almost, maybe it's from my perspective of things too. Uh, it's almost no surprise to me that you get an opportunity like that because, you know, I know you and know what you're capable of and uh, i'm going to stop tooting your horn now because you look confused yep. at this praise yeah, so exactly it's like what the hell are you doing <laughs> <laughs> yeah i i don't the money to pay you for this free advertising so knock it off <laughs> yeah it's never we pay to do this show so i tr- <laughs> seriously <laughs> i'll take anything i can get but uh, yeah hockey day in minnesota obviously a big chunk of change as well and um a big matchup for the huskies women's team as we'll talk about uh, when we get to them uh this upcoming week Of course, they play Ohio State, which should be interesting. But the week after, like you mentioned, Hockey Day, Minnesota, Bemidji, crucial points on the line after what happened last weekend. Certainly is.
1: Uh, Let's continue with some crucial points being uh, taken by the Seattle Kraken. In fact, holy cow, a couple of things, actually. One you mentioned here, Noah, and that is their first uh, regulation loss they handed to the Boston Bruins on home ice for the season. That's their first
0: home ice loss in regulation since April of 2022. Yeah. Holy cow. And and what was it the the longest or the best road streak or best road Six, swing seven? ever? It was
1: yeah. the first team in NHL history to sweep a road or uh, basically a road trip of 7 or more games. So they went 7 and oh, That's Seattle so that Kraken for real. Is that good? no it's pretty shit actually <laughs> <laughs> but i mean vancouver has you know entered the chat so we'll, no, we'll see <laughs> yeah they might have went zero um, and seven i'm not sure <laughs> oh geez if, if they even bother to show up so my gosh i mean again <laughs> uh, that, okay, I mean, that okay that's our extra ice session because okay we've, they're, they're
0: not the wolverines here they at least not. play their games that's true so <laughs>
1: <laughs> speaking of teams who do play games the red wings did beat toronto three days ago um, first time that they beat Toronto in almost four years February 1st 2019 um, let's just say that that may have woken the Beast up a bit for Toronto who had been kind of you know kind of sliding a bit up now run nine in a row since then um, so yeah the Red Wings uh, uh, also a bit of a disappointing season they looked early that they were gonna maybe make a push to be in the bubble. It looks like, I mean, there's still technically is a chance, but with all the ground they have to make up, it's a tall task. Yeah. Uh so they're looking more like sellers than buyers at the deadline. And um most recent reports have say that they're going to be essentially reevaluating all of their talent here as they get towards the trade deadline and certainly as they get into the free agency period again this upcoming off season. So pretty yeah. Pretty sad story for the Red Wings. I thought they would be a bit better than they were this year.
0: Yeah, they might be a year off. I think the same story with Ottawa, too. We expected a little bit more of them, and they haven't quite made the jump. So we'll have to see the Eastern Conference staying relatively pat. I thought we were going to get a little bit more of a shake-up. The Devils have provided some intrigue, obviously, but I think other teams… Florida Panthers are not the right way. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They just cannot catch a breakdown in the Sunrise uh, area there. but. Nonetheless, uh, two more topics here uh, already here uh, in the weekly roundup. Very quick one here this week. Uh, the Boston Bruins, will circle back to them. The only signing of the past week, Pavel Zaka, four-year extension, 4.75 mil average annual value, 25 points in 42 games for him this season. So a nice little pickup for the Bruins, kind of a nice little resurgence. Maybe one of the few guys that has left the Red Wings and found success, usually, or Red Wings, the Devils, sorry, the Devils. Um, and most, you know, most players would have wanted to stay in new jersey given the year that they've had but uh yeah a guy that has flourished I, if you're not going to be with the devils i suppose being with the bruins is a <laughs> not not a bad trade off <laughs> yeah as long as you're just worried about the on eye stuff if you're in the front office run um Yikes. with that with that being said uh speaking of front office things we'll discuss this in our extra ice session our first injury tanner pearson done for the year after his third hand surgery of the season teaser for what's to come in the extra ice session uh vegas is mark stone week to week with an upper body injury montreal's brendan Ga- break mark no, stone oh my gosh he just yeah it's kind of been him great player when he's on the ice but certainly has been bitten by the injury bug in Last recent years seasons yeah yeah same with brendan gallagher montreal uh out for at least six weeks with a lower body ailment and the final one toronto's tj brody on injured reserve with a rib injury And welcome into the main portion of the show, Noah Grant, alongside Nick Maxson here in the middle of January, smack dab on the 15th here. And uh Nick, uh, NCAA hockey, um, some interesting news I don't think as crazy of a week as we normally have. I'm really excited. Uh I can't remember if it's next week or the week after. We have no weekday games before the weekend sets. That means Hockey East oh. isn't doing their thing. Atlantic Hockey isn't doing their thing. Like, oh. We'll finish a game on Saturday, and then we won't play till the following Friday anywhere in the country. That's cool. Um, So I think that's in a couple weeks. I was looking through that, and I'm like, there's no way. There's no way. Uh, but, uh, yeah, uh, with that being said, before we start the main portion of the show, of course, Nick and I kind of briefly mentioned in the early portions here, uh, both of us, an off week for us as far as NHL work is concerned, Nick, of course, you were in America's wasteland. You were back in North Dakota, down in, down in Bismarck. It was a split for you guys, uh shootout win the first night and then a loss last night, which uh I'm not complaining on the Toro side of things. But uh, yeah. <laughs> um, personally, the way it is i was gonna say it was nice to have you back in the state but i don't want to lie to our viewers so how was it i'll do that <laughs> coming so. back to the, to the, to <laughs> and the capital sure. city and, and seeing the capital city kitty cats it didn't start very well um so you know when you
1: have those travel stories that you just kind of go if you know it's almost like if no one recorded it would, it would you know what's everybody believe it this is one of those so we we check into the hotel and i'm walking to the room get to the get to the door put the key in open the door the first thing i see is three to four pizza boxes on the floor. <laughs> so at that point, I'm going, oh, okay, maybe they just forgot to get the garbage. So I look to the left towards the bathroom. Yeah, there's towels all over. I go a little bit further, and the beds aren't even made. Look, looks like someone just popped out of bed. And so, was there was there luggage in there? There was not luggage. Oh, um, so <laughs> I didn't know. <laughs> I was like, well, this is a first. So I go back to the front door, uh, front desk, not the front door, and uh, just simply said in the nicest way possible. Like well, there's two things: either someone's in this room still, or <laughs> you haven't cleaned it yet. I didn't know how else to phrase it, like you know, sounding like a total dick. So yeah, uh, they gave me a new room. New room was fine, but I wasn't the only one. <laughs> so the athletic trainer for the uh, uh, for the North Iowa Bulls actually had a uh, a skin reaction um, to uh, no a, a chemical. So uh,
0: yeah, looked <laughs> like she swallowed a volleyball ball with her eyeball. It was not I- I uh, I guess if if I had to think about it, I only have one story related to check in. Of course, uh you had to wait for your check in actually when you were here and my not doing the games with me uh against Aberdeen, we had to wait until basically after the game, essentially based on timing. But yeah, uh, that was I think weird. I think the best uh, story that I can remember, we went down to Florida my junior year for a school trip or something, uh, kind of carving through the Southeast there. And we get to Florida, we finally get to our, our hotel, right? You know, it was a long bus ride. It's like 75 hours each way with stops, you know, just based on like the routes that we were taking and the stops that we had. So obviously long bus ride, finally getting into Florida and getting to our hotel. And we had, we had one of our, uh, one of the kids in our class with us and, gets in the hotel room and the first thing he's got to do is he's got to fire off a number two right like it's been a long road trip <laughs> he's doing whatever <laughs> so he does this thing right looks around no plunger oh no so they just get in the room there's no plunger so now he's got to go down to the front desk <laughs> he's got to ask for a plunger right? Like he's he's got it he needs it so he goes starts you know doing it gets the plunger you know unceremoniously goes starts doing his thing they can't get the toilet on clogged. They had to move rooms <laughs> coming into the, coming into the, uh, yeah, to the, to the hotel. So uh, note to self, oh. note to self when, uh, you know, hotels are giving you crap. Sometimes you can give it right back. Uh, but, with, <laughs> <laughs> but with that being said, uh, <laughs> circling back towards. All I, all I can hear in
1: my voice is. uh Oh, geez, what's the actor's face in Jurassic Park? Well, that's one big
0: pile of shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, you know, well, speaking of that, though, uh, the Big Ten, I don't know if you would describe it as that, but the parody has certainly been there. Three teams mm-hmm. tied at 24 points for second in this conference here, in, uh this weekend, of course, was a result of that. Ohio State traveling to Michigan, uh, OSU a 7-2 to victory on the first night. Against the Wolverines who responded with a four to two victory of their own in night number two. Penn State traveling to Michigan State. These two teams split earlier in the season. Michigan State winning three two in overtime and then five four in a shootout. Officially a tie, but a shootout victory yep. for MSU. Same with Minnesota, officially a tie against Notre Dame, but winning three to two technically in the shootout. Uh, and then also winning three nothing the next night. So the only uh, you know, uh game that did not end up in a, a sweep of sorts. I guess was the OSU Michigan series, although Penn state and Minnesota both earning ties in their respective matchups against Michigan state and Notre Dame Uh, and the U S under 18 team. As you (laughs) mentioned that kicked the crap out of Wisconsin six to one. Uh, You know, it's interesting, though, this Badgers team is not totally far off. We'll talk a little bit, I think, about standings a little bit. I kind of have a link in here this week that we can kind of touch on some of the other conferences uh, outside of the NCHC and kind of take a look. There's some intrigue here. The the big reason that I pulled that up was to look at some Hockey East stuff Mm -hmm. and see where groups were at in that regard. But there's certainly been a lot of intrigue around the NCAA, so we'll get to that. Uh, But, yeah, are are you surprised that Wisconsin lost? I mean, no. (laughs) Uh, It's interesting because...
1: You know, wasn't there an ejection in that game, too? Yeah. One of the Wisconsin players had yeah. a suspension. Yeah. Like an el- like a elbowing call, I think. Yeah. Or something like that. Some kind of flying chicken wing. And- well, if you got beat by a bunch of kids, wouldn't you be mad, too? Well, I thought Wisconsin would be used to it by now. I mean, they've been. <laughs>
0: oh. Well,
1: I mean, it's it's been. Let's just say it's it's been a very rocky year. And it's weird because when you go into some of the the, the junior teams, you see all the commits that they have, you would think, well, how is this team not better? I mean, yeah. it, you talk, we talk about curious cases in the podcast all the time, Noah, and Wisconsin truly is to me like the most curious case in college hockey, the last couple of seasons, right? Yes, they had the year with Cole Caulfield. Um, he almost single-handedly carried them to an NCAA tournament. But we kind of had a feeling that things would maybe taper off a little bit with his departure to the NHL. But not as much as it has. I mean, it's. I mean, there's dumpster fires in the NHL, but there's also a dumpster fire in terms of by Wisconsin standards. I mean, they used to be a very prolific, yeah. you know, pro- program, and now it's they're kind of becoming a doormat. That just, I mean, my brain just doesn't want to believe that Wisconsin hockey is at that kind of level.
0: It's kind of interesting. It's been a weird year. Um, You want to talk about dumpster fires. I was looking at the current NCHC standings compared to our preseason predictions. Uh, Yeah, yeah. and the NCHC's media predictions for that matter. I mean, we had one spot flipped in number one and number two, but everybody else was kind of in the same boat as us. uh um, we was wrong. Uh CHAPTER Max Beach. <laughs> well, I just screwed everything up. That's fair. As long as long as Max Beach is unhappy, we're all happy. Uh <laughs> CCHA 2.0, uh Ferris State winning four to nothing on the first night and then losing 4-1 to Lake Superior State, only their fourth win of the season. The Lakers uh disrupting Ferris's Little run there, so yikes! yikes. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. CCHA had some interesting things here. Bowling Green swept Bemidji State four two and five two. Michigan Tech winning two to nothing in night number one, but then losing three to two to the Tommies in night number two by a score of three to two. You Same can almost maybe. That. You can almost maybe feel this was coming, but Michigan Tech has really dropped off the table in the past they couple really of have. weeks here. Um, th- they were a team that I picked to win uh, ha- uh, in a couple weeks ago. I picked them to probably win uh, the CCHA, and now I believe they're sitting in third or fourth. I think it's fourth right now. North they I think. Yeah. And really with a big point spread, they have you know kind of put themselves six or seven points out of that first place spot. So, in with, third, actually, but uh, yeah. Yeah. Twenty eight yes.
1: points. Bowling Green has really secured uh thirty-five at top Minnesota State after their weekend at thirty points. Yeah. State also has faltered a bit too. They're at twenty-five, but in the whole mice position. So
0: yeah, so we'll we'll run through those obviously uh as well too. Like we said, some standing stuff after we get through some scores. Uh Clarkson traveling to Harvard on Friday, and Clarkson a bit of an upset here. Four to one for them. They're sitting, I believe, seventh uh in hockey east right now, or sorry, ECAC. Uh Harvard then had St. Lawrence, five nothing win for them on Saturday. Clarkson had Dartmouth and it was 5-4. This Dartmouth team that is sitting last in the ECAC uh, is uh, and Hockey East is just giving teams scares yeah. <laughs> left and right here. Uh, otherwise non-conference game on Saturday. Cornell traveled to BU and BU to three in that one. Uh, Hockey East here, um, our smorgasbord of fun as always. UMass That's- UMass beating BU uh, or losing to BU, sorry, on Wednesday. That one was in BU. 6-2 was the final there. Merrimack traveling, uh, or holy smokes, Noah, hosting Providence. Everybody keep up. Okay, this was our only weekend matchup that we had in, in the initial thing. Yeah, sorry, people. Providence traveled to Merrimack. Providence won 8-3 the first night, and Merrimack won 3 nothing the second night. So a split for both of those teams. That probably doesn't help or hurt anybody in that regard there. Both those teams probably could have used a split out of that weekend series, all things considered. Um, Northeastern traveling to UConn on Saturday. Northeastern winning 4-3. This was a very tight contest here between two teams vying for some space uh, out there in Hockey East. New Hampshire um, plays UMass, or they played on Sunday, and New Hampshire won four to one this UMass team is bad yeah like actually I've, they've like really struggled I I was kind of surprised when I look back at the standings uh they've dropped down to like the third worst in yeah. hockey East like They're it's 23rd in the pair
1: wise. so they they came into the season weren't they you know at least in the top 15 in the polls
0: yeah. and hung around yeah. maybe 9 10 and they yeah. just yeah
1: they've kind of dropped off the table for like yeah
0: this race So that was what we had included. The extra one I added for this week, UMass Lowell traveled to Maine. UMass Lowell won 2-1 in the first night, but Maine winning 5-3 in the second night. Maine has disrupted a couple of people's weekends this season as well. Same with another team in Atlantic Hockey. Bentley has done some damage. They swept Niagara 6-3 and 6-1, and AIC played a single game set against Vermont, and they won that one 4-0 over the Catamounts out east. So uh, the other game that I included here – B.C. traveled to Sacred Heart for a non-conference game. B.C. won 3-2 to two in overtime at the newly minted Martyr Family Arena, uh, seating 4,000. UConn and St. Thomas are the other two teams who are going to get arenas very soon, but this was the first one that we saw from Sacred Heart. Yeah, well, yeah, but they're getting a new team, so it's like... Uh, oh, I mean, come on. Still yeah. a new arena. <laughs> I mean, where and was St. Th- Thomas's new arena when they had built their team, you know? They still haven't figured that out too, which I think is funny. Yeah. Regardless, though, Sacred Heart's new building is beautiful. Very nice. Uh, yes. It kind of reminds me uh, of Miami, Ohio's a little bit, but I love on the one side, they've got these big open windows essentially that you can see across from the concourse. Uh, it lets in a lot of natural light during the day and, of course, a good view at night. And then the other side, press box seating around the concourse and, you know, kind of the, the leveled suites and sort of things. It's mm. a beautiful facility.
1: It is, and uh, again, four thousand seats. Um, that's sort of, I think, the norm now between four and five thousand. Uh, again, Mullet Arena, uh, you know, minus a uh, you know a, a renter that has screwed everything up, you know, for <laughs> for the <laughs> yeah. owner uh, would be around forty five hundred to five thousand. And you know, I think for the Herbrooks National Hockey Center, I think technically it seats what sixty
0: six hundred if it were full. Um, it's uh, over six thousand. They were at capacity last night and they were at like 5103 so 51 okay that's 51 um, it's like it's like 51 51- like fifty one fifty, I think, is the true capacity, but they but they usually don't fill the I thought it was closer to six thousand two, and then I found out that it's actually closer to five thousand. But that's we'll cool. talk about attendance by the way, uh for yeah. St. Cloud when we get to that point as well, too. But uh yeah, a beautiful building. I thought um tough that they lost in overtime BC. That's a lot of pressure coming into that building, though, and trying to get a victory, so good for them. So uh you mentioned Mullet Arena, by the way. Three more scores to recap here. Mankato traveled to Arizona State uh and swept them three one and five nothing. And then Long Island uh, played host uh, to Quinnipiac on Saturday, traveled to Princeton on Friday, and they lost them both, 5-2, both scores against both of those clubs. So what's on tap in the Big Ten? And the rest of the college hockey world, Notre Dame travels to Penn State. Ohio State travels to Wisconsin. Michigan will travel to Minnesota, and Michigan State is off. CCHA 2.0, Bowling Green, St. Thomas, Thursday-Friday matchup. That one's in St. Thomas. Lake Superior State travels to Mankato. Tech travels to Ferris and Northern Michigan at Bemidji. Uh, ECAC, Providence will travel to Princeton on Tuesday. Quinnipiac gets Cornell on Friday while Princeton will get Cornell on Saturday and Quinnipiac will have Colgate in the same matchup the next night. Hockey East, Northeastern, a home and home against Merrimack. Maine will travel to BU. UConn, a home and home against UMass and New Hampshire against UMass Lowell. I threw that one in there because UMass Lowell is kind of on the bubble in their own conference and, and sorts of things. So they need a couple of victories strung together quick. And then New Hampshire will play UMass again on Sunday. We won't have that score, but kind of a weird little schedule for them there. Nothing to discuss in Atlantic hockey that I thought was notable. And independent-wise, Lindenwood travels to Long Island. That'll be a nice little matchup with the independents. Mm -hmm. And RIT will travel to the Sun Devil State and ASU. So we talked about the standings here, Nick, so why don't we talk about them? Uh, RIT, the aforementioned team, leading Sacred Heart by nine points in Atlantic hockey. They seem like maybe the team to beat. I thought it was going to be Sacred Heart, but RIT has really kind of pulled away as of recent. Uh, AIC, a couple points behind, and then that's pretty much it for the top yep. three. Um, maybe Mercyhurst could do some damage, but that conference tournament kind of always gives some intrigue because really anybody has a chance, I guess Yep. to be fair, when it comes to Atlantic hockey, Uh big 10, Minnesota, of course, taking the cake, 10 point lead over the next three, Ohio state, Michigan state, Penn state really, Your top four in the mix there. Uh, Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, OSU and Penn State, two less games played than the Spartans of Michigan State. So uh, they have a chance to do some damage as they move on through the season. But I'm curious, Nick, since we're talking about it, Minnesota will finish number one in that conference, no No doubt about it. What's the order of the top four after? Ooh, It's not going to be Michigan State.
1: I think think Michigan State uh, runs out the bottom four in that. I think they take four. And I think it'll be Penn
0: State, then Ohio State. That's I think it's Minnesota, Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan State. So I am going out on a limb here. I'm going to say Penn State at two. I'm going to say Michigan State at three, and I'm going to say OSU at four. I think the Spartans Ooh. team has a little bit more left in the tank than you're giving them credit for. Now I agree with you in the games played. I think that's the the one thing that really hurts them is you, do, you have an extra weekend that you lose, essentially. And um, this weekend they'll make up for it because Michigan State off. Yeah, OSU um, has kind of... You know, been up and down here, but this Spartans team has really pushed in the last month and a half, and I think that they're going to give teams fits here. But yeah, it's anybody's guess. I think in the Big yeah. Ten should be interesting. No secret who's probably going to have uh, home ice a little bit here. I forget how that works. The first team has a buy, right? Yes, and then it's two, three, four has home ice, and they play five, six, seven. Notre Dame is, yep. I guess, technically not out of the question with games played if something crazy happens and they go They'll on a run, a bunch together, to yeah, get it
1: to happen. And I just I don't know, like they've. They've been a I, very widely inconsistent
0: team this year. Yeah. Uh, same with same with Michigan, who's at 15 points. They have four games in hand on Michigan State, two on everybody else. How are they still top 10 in the pairwise? That's and a polls. great question. Um, <sighs> I don't know. Like it is,
1: you know, in a similar sense, you could have almost asked the same you know thing about Saint Cloud last year. Um, yeah, is it was their non-conference that kind of buoyed them because of that very difficult. Um, And then, you know, with some of the teams they played, they stayed, you know, in that top 15. So it kind of buoyed them. I think Michigan, I think Michigan's almost being the beneficiary of that same kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, Looking past their non-conference schedule, they've been bad. They've been not good. They've been really bad in in
0: conference. So right now they are uh, 4-6, 4-6, or sorry. Yeah, basically 4-6 and 1 in conference. Yeah. Not great. They're they're Jack holding onto the door and they're about to let go. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. They're just barely bobbing. (laughs) Uh, Well, let's talk about some teams barely bobbing here. The CCHA 2.0 has offered a lot of intrigue. I think Ferris at number five is out. Bemidji state is they might have a, they're, they might have a home spot. Those two might battle for a home spot, but other than that, it's hard to see any of them going anywhere. Although they do have two games in hand or four games in hand on tech state and bowling green respectively. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Michigan Tech, yeah, has really faltered. Like you mentioned, they're at 28, like you mentioned. Minnesota State at 30, Bowling Green at 35. I guess Bowling Green kind of seems like the consensus pick here a little bit, although Mankato certainly has a bid. I think Tech is probably out Mm-hmm. at this point for trying to get to that point although they could you know if they get a, a victory in their next two i mean that pushes them up I've, i don't know what the point breakdown is for the ccha i apologize it's three
1: it's, three, it's a three-point system um, just
0: like the nchc so yeah i mean if yeah. michigan tech earns a sweep in fact we just we just mentioned who they are playing next week tech is traveling to ferris they so in a bowling green
1: which mind you has also been very up and down if they get swept they're right back in it so yeah it's not out of the question i would think of anything of Ferris Ferris State's probably sort of out of it northern Michigan for sure uh you know six seven and eight are definitely you know out of contention
0: yeah uh, how about but- how about northern Michigan's fall recently by the yeah. way four seven in the conference four and seven in the conference and they've had to win three of those in overtime they score
1: they they've won't yeah. they're the, in fact the they're, they're the second uh worst goal scoring team in the conference uh behind Lake Superior. even St. Thomas has scored more goals than Northern Michigan if that if that you know brings it to light a little bit, my goodness.
0: Yeah, they've lost six of their last nine um since essentially November twelfth. So yeah, it has not been great. The losses against Bemidji, Mankato, uh Tech, Ferris, and then swept by Mankato last weekend um has not been great for Northern Michigan as of recent. I thought they were a team that kind of almost maybe it was going to be a, a top three team for a while there based on the way that they were trending. EC, EC Quinnipiac and Harvard are pretty much the only two teams. Maybe throw Cornell and Princeton in there if you want to make it interesting. But I, uh, I mean, I guess the the, the the ECAC really, what has kind of come out of that is the tournament time has sometimes yielded somebody that's not the top two teams. Right. So, you could maybe see a a tournament conference tournament winner that could make some damage uh, and make the tournament hockey East Merrimack at 30 Northeastern at 28 UConn at 27 BU in Providence at 26. I would say your top four all have a good crack. Then it's UMass Lowell at 20. So uh, this Merrimack team, I mean, they're still staying pat. They're still winning hockey East right now. Um, Mm -hmm. And they have a game to three games in hand on uh, various respective opponents in the top five. So, I mean, I, you know, is it fair that they're as high up in the pair wise as they are? Yeah. But, yeah, but I mean it, you know, yeah.
1: I, even if they make the dance, uh, the, I just, I don't see them as a, a giant threat. And I, I know I say that probably with a big, you know, Western college hockey bias, <laughs> but, at, but at the end of it, you know, they're a team that hasn't really been there in a while, you know, right Noah. So to me, it's. Yeah. They'll be judged on their performance and uh, especially come conference playoff. And if they're still in that mix in the NCAA tournament, not saying that they're a bad team, but they're certainly an inexperienced team. uh, That's for sure.
0: Yeah, uh, Arizona State in the independent wise, 11 and 14, Alaska Fairbanks, 11 and nine, actually the best winning percentage of any team in the independent group. So that's uh, kind of interesting to look at. And of course, the last conference, the NCHC, we will definitely be getting to that. So let's head on over to the NCHC and talk a little bit about uh, what they're going to bring. And then we'll talk polls and pair wise as usual. Uh, NCHC roundup here from the past week. Miami traveled to Denver, and I don't know why they bothered. Uh, they, are out, <laughs> they were outscored fourteen to nothing on the weekend. Seven yeah. nothing finishes both nights. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't say that to be mean, but like, let's be honest. Like that was that's an that asking. Nice. Yeah. Um, Western Michigan traveled to North Dakota. I love it. Uh, four nothing victory in night number one, and then it was the Grand Forks of Caleb Johnson, his first start in six hundred days. His last with the Minnesota Wilderness in the Null, and his last game, of course, a state tournament with Grand Forks Central in high school in that building at Ralph Engel said seven to six yep. was the final Western Michigan sweeping North Dakota. I was looking at this, Nick. Uh, we'll we'll get to the standings of course, but long story short, North Dakota is one regulation win and they're two overtime finishes away from being tied in points with Miami. Um Yeah. Wow. Uh, Minnesota Duluth traveling to Omaha, a heartbreaker at night number 1 3 to 2 losing in that one on a uh, pretty egregious turnover and a shot five hole at Max Beach, of course, loved on Twitter. Uh and then <laughs> 6 to 1 Omaha uh kicking butt in night number 2. So uh this Omaha team is surprising a little bit more than we anticipated their conference play. You it's know, really I thought- surprising though because Duluth well, is bad. Well, I thought their non-conference bad. play for Omaha was really up and down and really, you know, yeah. was hard to read and then come conference time. And Omaha has always kind of done this, I guess, where they, they were more middle of the pack, but they've kind of disrupted a little bit. Like the only team to go in and sweep North Dakota the one year they won the Penrose, like yep. in, in Grand Forks. So uh you know they're making the case they pushed right behind St. Cloud actually vaulting Colorado College in the standings. So, mm-hmm. um just like we predicted, right? Uh Exactly. C- Colorado College traveling to St. Cloud State, of course, CC a 4 to 2 victory in the first night, 4 nothing for St. Cloud State um in night number 2. So, attendance in the first night, Nick, was 3764. Um I I know that Huskies games have predominantly hovered around 3800 4000 especially on that friday night Mm -hmm. do you uh, maybe i'll just pose the question do you think that it's almost a bit of a travesty that a top five team in the country is not selling out every weekend at home a little bit i
1: think so too and grand you know some of that has to do with the opponent and what i mean by that is we know and we've been praising the CC Tigers on this podcast before the season, we sort of said, Hey, watch out. This team is good. Right. I think the fan base is still in this notion that CC still like the bottom feeder. Um, and, you know, granted, if that's North Dakota, I think the building is obviously much fuller. Um, yeah. We'll see. I'm, I'm assuming with the Matt Cullen retirement uh, we will touch on that. I'm sure later was obviously much fuller for that, but yeah. you know, at, at the end of it, it is. And it's, it, it I'm going to call out the students a little bit, the dog pound, um, you know. And I say you th- that now, you, th- you think I think they've been the best, actually, well, out of everybody. And here's, well, and here's what I say, I, Steve. I like to see more of them consistently. There's oh, always sure. yeah. there's always the group that's in that lower level that's always there causing a ruckus, and and they're great for that campus to be able to walk from the dorms or the apartments to go to a game. I don't know why there's not more there. I, don't yeah. know, I just I kind of wish there was a bigger student section and that's me coming from upbringing and oh, I'm going to piss off a lot of people the gopher upbringing. I remember going, you know, post oh, yeah. most, post no star North Stars pre Minnesota Wild where old WCHA old yeah. WCHA went literally to get a ticket to the Gophers game was almost impossible. Yeah. And, you know, learning some, shall we say, some English and other life stories from the crowd chants also from the student <laughs> section.
0: It was it was a great yeah. educational thing at 12 to 13 years old. It was great. So Well, you talk about home ice advantage too, right? You know, St. Cloud, especially this mm-hmm. weekend, which I would hope it would be packed this weekend. You talk about a Huskies team. If they want a shot at the Penrose this weekend, they need some help. From we the do. hometown faithful, um, yeah, you know, so uh, Saint Cloud did take a lead in this one. The only goal in period number one, Grant Cruikshank, his 14th of the season. Andre Treball, Dylan, Dylan Anhorn, again, uh, the, the likely suspects, right, <laughs> contributing yep. for a goal there. Now, period number two. Five on three, a slap shot, absolutely wired top cheddar yeah. glove side from Tyler Coffee. He's got a great release. Chase Foley, Stanley Cooley, the assist, and then on the five on four afterwards. So, so they scored right away on the five on three, like about five or six seconds in. Hunter McCown, uh, his 14th of the season from Ryan Beck and Noah Laba right after. This one kind of was a zone entry that uh, maybe deflected uh, off of a turnover. I can't remember if it was a zone entry, if it was a turnover right inside the blue line. But nonetheless, it was a shot right in the middle of the ice. It went off the foot of, I think it was Cronulla in front, the defender, and uh, um, just maybe redirected a little bit through a screen. Um, Yeah. You know, and I think there was a lot of talk about, you know, St. Cloud and their defensive structure in this hockey game. Um, And a lot of people said that second period was a poor period for St. Cloud. They, they were in control the first half. They took those two penalties, a couple of timely goals from CC, a couple of bounces. Obviously that first shot from coffee was a beautiful shot. You can say caster should have had it maybe, but I mean, it was nice puck movement down low and it was a good release upstairs. But then CC found their legs, right? The Tigers had a really yep. good pushback, um, s- similar to what you would see if you suddenly take a take a one goal lead after being down one, you know, in quick succession. The Tigers, like th- like we said, they have really good pushback. So I think a lot of people, like you said, have this notion that CC. You know was going to roll over and play debt right uh exactly. and that's not what this team does now speaking of defensive breakdowns this second goal by tyler coffee from ethan strackey and noah laba um this was a defensive breakdown brendan bush he got caught puck watching essentially and it was a weak side pass and a beautiful one-timer for cc to really kind of break the game open that one's a backbreaker right barely yep. over a minute into a period that's where i think defensive structure didn't look great maybe in period number three. And of course, St. Cloud was trying to push back a little bit too in this one. Noah Prokop with the empty netter uh, from Connor Mayer and then Joey Molinar with the extra attacker. His first of the season from Zach Okabe and Spencer Meyer with a minute and one second left uh, gave us the score that we had. But shots by period, 21-6 to in favor of St. Cloud. The Huskies did everything but solve Caden Emberco more than one time. I mean, he was electric. We'll get to him in a second, obviously, as he exited that game. CC out shooting 11 to nine in period number two and the Huskies 14 to seven in period number three, uh, for a 44, 24 total. So, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think a lot of people, like I said, had this idea that the Huskies played poorly. CC was two for two on the power play, which we'll talk about the PK, which has definitely been a sore spot for the Huskies here. 25 for 58 in the draw. So 43%. -hmm. And, uh, Jackson Caster had an 870, stopped 20 of 23. Caden Emberco stopped 26 of 27 for a 963. He got hit in the face mask with like three minutes left in period number two and oh, actually broke, yeah. broke about three or four teeth. Returned the next night to start, but uh, yeah, had to go to the dentist. Uh, Matt Vernon, of course, uh and Mike Vernon's son, 16 stops and 17 shots in relief for a 941. But uh, yeah, I, uh, well, let's start with the defensive side of things here. Maybe particularly the penalty kill. Did you think like defensive structure was poor for the Huskies? And moreover, you know, you give up the five-on-three goal. Poor bounce on the other penalty kill that you had. Special teams has kind of let this Huskies team down on the on the shorthanded side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it maybe took a lot more than that. Where. The Huskies games have not so much been a poor penalty kill. Look at Miami, for example, but mm-hmm. it's been poor penalty kills at an inappropriate time. Like you can have a poor penalty right. kill percentage and be a good hockey team, or you can have a great one, for example, but you, you the the PK goals against you give up are inopportune or in quick succession and put you on your back foot. And let's not add that the
1: shorthanded goals for for St. Cloud State. The reason why I bring that up now is that it kind of gives us a picture of what St. Cloud is actually trying to do on the penalty kill, right? And it kind of, to me, seems like they're over pursuing the puck a little bit. And when you over pursue, especially in the walls, what's wide open, middle of the yeah. ice, the house. Um, now, especially again, on a big ice sheet. Especially on a big ice sheet. Yeah. And I think one thing, if in, I'm not. Hockey coach, but anything. But if anything, to me, I think you got to close the gaps a little bit. I know that St. Cloud likes to skate. I like I know they like to try to force the puck carrier uh, into bad areas of the ice, make them make decisions, and maybe try to trick them into essentially a poor decision. Right? That's the whole idea when you're, you know, that aggressive, especially with puck pursuit on the puck carrier. But the one thing that is the negative of that is you have a Colorado College team. It's well-coached that knows how to move it away from pressure. Um, if you can get that puck east to west and on the weak side, you've got a lot of room. And then your PK structure starts to break down just that way. So, and I think for, for St. Cloud, I, I think they just got to simplify it. I think really it comes down to, you know, just kind of clogging lanes and, and maybe not i don't want to see you don't want to be as aggressive but maybe just being smarter in, in your routes and and more than anything making sure that the sticks are in the right spot and you know if anything making sure that if you're going to give up a pass it's not through the seam it's not through the middle uh try to keep that puck to the perimeter so maybe that kind of adjustment but as you mentioned too you give up the five on three that's tough for any pK right but then yeah. it was a 61 seconds later in the five on four it was not it was quick yeah. right so then they gave up the five on four that's a penalty kill you gotta have. That's a PK you got to have. And if if you're able to get out of that, only give it up one, it's a tie hockey game. Maybe we're talking about a different result for Friday. Um, And maybe it's six points on the weekend instead of three for St. Cloud State. So um, I'm not as concerned about the five on three. Again, that's a tough order. Again, big ice sheet, lots of room um, for the skilled players to have. But again, it's that five on four, the the successive uh, penalty kill. That's the one um, that you just you have to be better at
0: yeah kind of a gut punch even the the even strength goal to open up period number three barely puts you on your back foot too and i think all weekend where the frustration really wasn't necessarily so much in the defensive structure because i don't know that cc threatened the middle a ton but what they did do is they won a lot of 50-50 pucks along the half wall, and they forced St. Cloud defenders to throw pucks away, right? And it wasn't crisp, clean passes out of the zone or clean zone exits out the glass. It was suddenly, oh, you're hemmed in your own zone. The puck is cycled back in your corner. Defenseman is under duress type of things. And the forecheck was really strong for CC. And you could tell that they you Wait, know, made forecheck. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Well, <laughs> they, they, they do this year. And uh, you know they, yes. they made the intention. And we're going to talk about this CC team as well. Give them credit, right? Like yeah. they we predicted them to finish six in the NCHC. They could have a home ice spot this year. I mean, they, I thought, they've- Was it sixth or fifth? Sixth. Sixth, Yeah. Yeah, okay. um, we, fi- we picked Duluth to finish fifth. Um, oh, that's right. Oh, which boy. still might be off base, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nonetheless, so another thing was kind of brought up about Caden Emberco, you know, the pegs coming off, a la Matt Murray in the NHL, Spencer Knight a couple years ago against the Huskies. And I was kind of wondering this, maybe just to pose the question. I didn't think it was really an issue, but in general, are we seeing like a technical side of goaltending where that combined with how nets have always been, where goaltenders are just using a lot of power to push off? You, are Like, are we, I think Matt, we can all agree Matt Murray in the NHL has some gamesmanship going on. He does for sure. But do you think other goalies are kind of getting caught out by this and they're really not intentionally doing it? They're just, they have a powerful push off and they're using, using the net to their advantage and the pegs are not holding yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um,
1: and and again, you know, there, the conversation is well. How do you manage it? You, it's so tough as the referee crew to be yeah. able to point at a goaltender and literally with a straight face go, "I know you absolutely did that on purpose." The net comes off the pegs, right? A strong push can do that. Again, for people to know the pegs, especially in the show, they're like they're like rubber. They're like an acrylic. They so they yeah. bend, right? The fact that this doesn't happen more often actually it's kind of you know pseudo curious too right yeah. so it, it it's not nefarious to me i mean because the big thing with goaltenders nowadays is it's the lateral movement right it's the east to west it's the right to left left to right it's those strong pushes yeah. that because essentially that's where the offense is being driven from is how can we get the goaltender move left to right because again goaltenders these days
0: they're huge Dominic basi six foot six when he's in his butterfly yeah. His shoulders are covering the freaking crossbar. And it, and it's usually not even left to right. It's almost this diagonal move because a lot of goaltenders they're taught to push off to one post and then they'll essentially their momentum will bring them into the post on the other side. And then they're locking in and then pushing off to get themselves diagonally squared to the shooter who's moving to the middle of the ice. Mm-hmm. And that's where you see it a lot of times too, because the push-off is not, you know, if you're pushing off left to right, for example, like you mentioned, it's much harder for the net to come off because you're essentially pushing across the entire length of the frame mm-hmm. and the net is like pull, holding itself together or pushing back on itself versus when you make that diagonal push and you're pushing back out toward the top of the crease, suddenly you're pushing diagonally down towards the back of the net and the diagonal corner of the net. And now all it is is you have all that weight behind front. the goal line to follow through and push along with you and pull that net out of position and pop the net off its mooring So like you said, you know, matt murray for example is the guy that i think you know a little bit more gamesmanship and that sort of thing but if you have the pegs wrong especially you know from that diagonal push off where the ice maybe isn't drilled properly or whatever it is that night and you have that diagonal push off sometimes it's not even oh this goal is pushing the net off all the time it's look at the type of push off they're taking off of the net because sometimes it's if it's the same motion the same action as they're trying to set themselves up to anticipate the next shot that kind of clues you in on maybe what's going on with that specific mooring or peg uh, whatever you call them or the ice conditions whatever it may be or maybe it is a goaltender thing but how do you police it like you said so i think it's a very good point and something i just thought it'd be interesting to kind of bring it up because i know some people I kinda mentioned
1: it. It's a moot yeah. point in this scenario. It really yeah. is. Um it, it's it's
0: it, it, <laughs> it didn't Husky cost fans. the didn't cost the huskies a loss. Like no. It was um, a lot more than that.
1: And, and and maybe for the fans out there who are wondering, well, they have skates, why don't you just push up, push off, you know, on the with their skates? Well, no. That's you just don't that's get just it. not on how it works. Bridge. No. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with how fast the game is, with how Um, The puck movement is much faster on the offensive side. If you're not using that kind of leverage on the post, you're not getting over in time. It just ain't going to
0: happen fun fact, by the way, for those who, you know, maybe are newer to the game of hockey, watch a warm up in a lot of hockey games at the higher levels and look at the bottom of the post. They have those rubber coverings there. It's there yes. for that specific reason because goalies are practicing their push-offs, but they don't want to ruin their their game edges job. or whatever it may yep. be. So, um, yeah, so there's another reason why as well. Saturday, 4 nothing victory for the Huskies. Attendance was fifty one oh three. Of course, Matt Cohen's jersey retirement, number nine headed to the rafters, not in sequential order on the right side of Brett Hedekin's 24. I know some people were <laughs> kind of annoyed about the OCD of that I, I don't it's know it's CDO that's alphabetical order get it right <laughs> <laughs> um but uh you know with that being said beautiful ceremony great recognition it was great to hear him on the broadcast Mark Parrish there as well too and I you know I thought it was you know very fitting of course Matt Cullen with Cully's kids and those sorts of things that he's done obviously giving back to the university, of course, but also, you know, locally in Moorhead and, you know, giving back to the game of hockey at the youth level, I think just been, has been fantastic to see. So, and uh, his
1: uh, newfound position, he's with the yeah. Fargo Force player development. Yeah. So, yeah. Nick Oliver, uh, former Husky assistant coach. So, a couple of Huskies in,
0: uh, you know, sort of the junior ranks uh, with some developing of young kids. So, that's pretty cool. Yeah. I've got a buddy who uh, um, came back and skated with us over the summer uh, that uh, plays for the Force uh, this year. And he kind of talked about Nick Oliver and kind of talked about his intensity, but also he he likes to have a little bit of fun too. And I think he said he's a real players coach and really knows how to identify with the players, um, y- you know, as a coach. And I think that's something that Nick always has had, but really maybe a little bit more serious when he was on the recruiting side of things as an assistant at St. Cloud. And I think now maybe bridging that gap as a head coach a little bit, knowing that, you know, a lot of these guys, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, you know, trying to develop uh, and get to the next level. So uh, Brayson Bozer is the the player's name, by the way, is a defenseman number 25 and uh, um, their leading scorer in Fargo, by the way, is certainly tearing it up too. So definitely worth a look to the stat sheet there. Uh, Saturday's game, like we mentioned, the Huskies getting goals. Zach Okabe in the first period, Joey Molinar and Yami Kranila telling us this, Joey Molinar quietly has been productive this season, been, Pretty mm-hmm. impressed with him. Uh, Kyler Kupka's seventh of the season in period number three, just before the 10-minute mark. Grant Cruikshank, the assist. Cruikshank then scoring his 15th of the season from Micah Miller and Kyler Kupka. And then Yami at the empty netter, his 11th of the year. Brendan Bushy, Zach Hokabi tallying assists. Of course, Micah Miller uh, tallying a point in this one. He was the one who actually took the shot that knocked Emberico's mask off in the previous game. And then Emberco came back to play in this one shots, 27 aside. It was a pretty even hockey game. All things considered seven, six for St. Cloud in the first five, five in period number two and 16, 15 for CC in period number three. So it's interesting how hockey works, right? CC over four in the power play. St. Cloud missed their loan opportunity. Um, much better in the face off dot for the Huskies who, who came in here 34 for 58. So just under 60% in night number two, Dominic Bassey was perfect. And Caden Berko stopped 23 of 26 for an eight, eight, five. But you know, you look at a game like this and statistically you would say, Oh, maybe this is one where CC probably could have won this one just based on the statistics and the pace of play of the game. But St. Cloud probably had the better chances in night number two, even though the shots were way even like they think about it, the Huskies put up 44 shots in the first night. Mm -hmm. you know and only scored two goals so so credit cc from for their lockdown defense but overall i I think if you're the huskies you're disappointed you don't take more points Mm -hmm. but i think this is a real wake-up call cc has always been tough at the herbrooks national hockey center too but i think this is a real wake-up call as you know cc has kind of made the rounds now with a lot of these teams in the nchc this Tigers team is back to being a good hockey a good team again. Team. And I think it's, we'd be remiss to not give them the credit that they deserve. They're sitting fourth uh, in the NCHC by a single point here because of the weekend Omaha had. But, I mean, if they would have won yesterday, they would have tied St. Cloud for second yep. in the NCHC. Let's, let, let's talk about that team. And you and I predicted this, that we expected this Tigers team to make a significant jump. Did we expect it was going to be this big? I don't think so. But right now, they put themselves in a good spot. What is it about this Tigers team that Huskies fans should know, especially taking from the Friday night loss that, you know, yes, the Huskies made some key mistakes, but you got to give credit to the Tigers and how well oil of a machine they're becoming. So let's just go back to a certain coach named
1: Mike Havlin. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> just kidding. But that team was completely different. They were a team that... Didn't really push. They were a a neutral zone trap team. Um, They were opportunistic um, on offense. You know, they really wanted to essentially force their opponents into mistakes. And they really didn't drive their own possession. They were literally just essentially trying to create uh, some puck luck and then try to take advantage of it. And then comes in Chris Mayotte, um, former assistant at Michigan. Also spent time with the U.S. under development, uh, development team. And he says, no, this is not the way that we can be competitive at this program. So he comes in, and now CC has got offensive talent. They've got pushback. And not only do they have pushback, but they're battling. Yeah. They're battling Noah. I mean, this, this team... Isn't just sitting back and looking for mistakes. No, they're forcing mistakes. They're in your face in the neutral zone. And then in transition, they're much better. So they want to counterattack. They want to counter punch. They're not just going to be someone's punching bag anymore. And this one thing about Chris Mayotte that I think people should know is he you know, he reminds me a lot about Nick Oliver in terms of he's a player's coach, um, but a fantastic human being too. Like just really, really mm-hmm. good dude. And I think, you know, you have to credit him a lot of where this turnaround is because yeah. he's got this team bought in and the low recruiting is already so much better. Again, he's got Caden Emberico, um he spent time at World Juniors, Hunter McAllen, um, who's got 14 goals on the season. Um, yeah. He's got more on the way. This team is only going to get better and it all starts from up top. And so, I really want to give a credit to Chris meow. I've had a couple of opportunities to interview him. Great dude, um, and then talking to Brian Yu, and again, the defenseman earlier this year at the NCHC uh, media day, uh, yeah. you could see the excitement even on his face, where it's like, hey, you know, we're building something here, and we feel like we can make a statement. And halfway through, they are, and so you yeah. got to give him credit. In fact, one thing that we haven't talked about, Noah, and this is a side note, is the way CC made the Huskies play on Friday. There were some wholesale lineup changes. Yeah, staying cloud. And one that I was disappointed to see, but not surprised at beating me out and getting fourth line minutes yesterday. Yeah, but needed he- to, as you talked about 5050 battles, he's been that's been the one thing to his game that is yeah. really not developed. And I to me, at this point, when you're a junior, that's not a that's not a teachable thing. That's not. And what I mean by that is, he's full.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's a work ethic thing. Work and, it, thing and it's yeah. an, an accountability thing. You have to be better around your teammates. And CC, of course, their non conference left a lot to be desired, swept by St. Lawrence and ASU. But other than that, you know, conference wise, they've beaten Duluth. They've beaten Miami. They, they lost to St. Cloud, were swept, but then they beat Duluth again, swept Omaha, which is a big yeah. deal for them. Uh, and then, of course, just split with St. Cloud. Now, who do they have coming up? They haven't seen Western Michigan. They have them next weekend. Yep. Really? You look at CC, they have a tough schedule in the second half, but they also control their own fate with people around them. They have Western, followed by a home-and-home against Denver, followed by a travel to Omaha and then travel to Kalamazoo at Western again. They're at home against North Dakota, and they finish with a home-and-home against Denver. So really, every team except for North Dakota right now is right around them in that mix, and they have a chance to really push the issue. And if they want home ice, they have a chance to get it done about with opponents directly around them. Um, so let's take a look here. Uh, standings here, by the way, Denver, a great weekend for them, obviously 29 points, six points ahead of the Huskies. So I think if you're St. Cloud, uh, looking ahead to next weekend against Denver, got to take four points for sure, if not five or six, you know, to really have a shot at the Penrose here. So you're going to have to have a good weekend against the Pios, which maybe they're a little vulnerable after the weekend against Fairbanks, but you know, and maybe playing Miami too, maybe they're not geared up and ready for a high octane opponent like the Huskies still are. So St. Cloud has a chance. Uh, Omaha and Colorado College both at 6-5-1 in the conference. Omaha one extra uh, point with an overtime loss compared to CC. So that's the extra point at 21 versus 20. That's your home ice teams right now. Western Michigan right behind at 19 after a good weekend against North Dakota for them. Duluth is in sixth at 13 points. They are a full weekend behind Western Michigan. North Dakota at 12, a full weekend plus one and Miami 4 points behind at 7. Denver, Saint Cloud, Omaha, Colorado College, Western gosh Michigan, gosh. Duluth, North Dakota, Miami. Exactly like we predicted it, right? Exactly. Yep. Oh my god. Like I was just looking at this, I'm like this is unbelievable. Like
1: <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's 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 crazy how college hockey can be sometimes right, Noah. Um North Dakota I just And again, it, it maybe is just because we've we've watched this team and we know what's there um granted they were missing Tyler Clevin also yesterday because of a suspension um but it's like when they're scoring they can't keep the puck out of the net and then when they can't score they still can't keep the puck on their
0: own yeah they're not getting Um, great goaltending their defensive structure has been lapsed the the four groups like you said there's been scoring but there really hasn't been a huge cohesion like I said who do you look at in North Dakota? I mean, maybe there's a line here and there, but really, who do you look at as a line for North Dakota that you go, yep, I'm terrified of them every night. I don't think they have one this year. Not really, and a couple of names that have really
1: not risen to the case. First of all, the the sophomore, Matteo Constantini, um, who was a force last year. He's, uh, he's having that really deep sophomore slump um and, and again I, I know brad barry's addressed that too where you know he's, he's got to work through it that's all you can do and then reese gaber too who has always been a thorn at everybody in the ncac side so just doesn't to have as you know that lethal um you know impact on the games he has been in the years yeah. past so um but again north dakota is young this year um like the loss of jake sanderson yeah. doesn't help them on the back end so Take advantage of all you can because mm-hmm. if this is sort of that blip year for them, great because it's not going to happen next year.
0: And I, yeah. Well, you talk about guys like Reese Gaber, right? You know, part of the thing with North Dakota hockey is, yes, they had some good players, but they all worked together within a system. Now, some of these veteran guys are having to carry the mail and it might be a little bit too much for them or they're, you know, being shadowed too much by other teams. And the young guys haven't been able to contribute as much as they had hoped. So, yeah, as a Huskies fan, not complaining, though, North Dakota oh. will post Duluth next weekend so really uh if there's a split if there's a split there they could really go absolutely nowhere uh so to speak for both of those teams uh Miami travels to Omaha Western Michigan travels to Colorado College that's again a tough matchup for the Tigers and Denver will travel to St. Cloud State the Huskies could really use a couple of regulation wins it's going to be an uphill battle what do we expect from Denver
1: you're going to expect a team that has carried the load all season long, right? Um, they've had, they've been in the top five all season. Um, they have a very potent offense, as, as we've seen, 14 goals against Miami, and uh, defensively too, they're starting to figure that out a little bit too. Um, now, this is probably going to sound really mean, but Miami is certainly not, you know, the most imposing team on the offensive yeah. side of things. I,
0: I would say they're the one team in the NCHC that looks a little out of place this year. Yeah, compared to everybody else, but exactly. But Denver's still a very balanced squad. Uh, they're
1: you know deep as far as their lineups concerned. They still get decent goaltending, um, you know, from their net minding. So um, they're going to play a, a literal identical mirror image of themselves. And uh, again, it's just going to be about managing puck situations, winning those 50-50 battles. And again, if you can try to keep them in their own defensive zone, get pucks below the goal line, and just try to outwork them, that's how you get a win against Denver. Really, yeah. that's, how, that's how you do it.
0: Number four and number five in the pairwise St. Cloud dropping two spots after Friday night's loss Denver, right ahead of them looking for that number one spot, both in the NCHC and of course in the NCAA pairwise Minnesota atop the pairwise followed by Quinnipiac Penn state. We've heard that story before Ohio state right behind in six with BU right there, Michigan at eight, uh, um, Harvard <laughs> at nine Western at 10, which is intriguing because they don't hold a home spot in the NCHC right now. They're at five, uh, in the NCHE 10 in the pairwise. Merrimack dropping down to 11 Michigan State at 12 like I said this Spartans team their non-conference schedule has helped them Michigan Tech right there with them Cornell Mankato at 15 Providence rounding out your top 16 BC Notre Dame Yukon Alaska Fairbanks at 20 followed by Omaha at 21 UMass is still at 23 somehow with North Dakota right next to them Bemidji State at 28 for your North or excuse me Minnesota schools Colorado College right there at 29 um, your Wisconsin buddies are at 33 still. Of course, they only played the U.S. under 18 team, so they probably haven't really moved. Duluth at 36. Mm-hmm. Um, Miami at 44. Huskies fans paying attention. Really, if you're a Huskies fan, you would like Miami to knock off Omaha You know, this mm-hmm. weekend. That would be a would. big deal, or at least take one of two in that one. So any other uh, pairwise stuff you felt like you wanted to discuss here, Nick? I think, uh, I mean, watching Bemidji State too.
1: Um, You know, they looked like they were, Kind of on the rise, they, they've had a couple of tough weekends, so now they've slid back to 28 when they were as high as 19, I think, two weeks ago. Um, so you talk about some of those blemishes um, that the Huskies have had against a couple of those squads. Um, you'd like to see those guys rebound to try to uh, get yourself up a little bit, but again, can't control it. Uh, you can only control your own destiny, so that yep. starts this weekend again with Denver.
0: Women's hockey here moving over to the WCHA. Of course, women's hockey back in action. Before we get to that, though, the Under-18 World Championships have, have been taking place here. I want to make sure I pull this up because I had this linked. Um, this game still says live. Let me make sure that it is over. I don't know I is. checked. It was 4 nothing US over Finland in the bronze medal. Yeah, maybe I have to refresh the page. I, I included the link, but maybe I have to refresh. Huh? For whatever reason, it doesn't want to give me the... The score. But yes, the U.S. playing in the bronze medal game, like you mentioned. Uh, oh, here it is. nothing was the final for okay. the U.S. over the Finns. So they did win bronze in this matchup. The gold medal game is the only one left to be played. We won't have a result for that one, obviously. Canada plays Sweden. How did we get here? Well, the U.S. beat Sweden 6-3. Finland 8 1 and lost to Canada 3 to 1 in group A. So all the teams from group A advanced, Canada, Finland, Sweden and the US and the top 2 teams in group B which was Czechia who went 3 and 0 and Slovakia was 2 and 1. So um the Swiss and Japan were forced to the relegation round, and the Swiss swept Japan. So uh, the Swiss will stay. Quarterfinals: the Finns beat Czechia three to two, and Sweden beat Slovakia six to one. Then the U.S. lost in overtime to Sweden, who they had beat by three in the prelims. And mm-hmm. Canada beat Finland in overtime three to two to get to this point. So, uh, pretty intriguing little little tournament there. So uh the US getting bronze similar to what they did on the men's world junior side. But WJ women here, Wisconsin traveling to Ohio State, and it was the Buckeyes a sweep two to one in overtime and five to nothing uh against Wisconsin. Like I said, St. Cloud is now sitting in six with a matchup against wisconsin if the playoffs started today i don't know that the huskies necessarily wouldn't want wisconsin right now like no they have they have not looked great um granted ohio state's a very good team probably one of the best in the country but with that being said, Wisconsin has struggled as of recent. Bemidji State traveling to Duluth and Duluth outscoring them thirteen to one over the weekend. Saint Thomas traveled to Minnesota and the Gophers five nothing and four one. Actually, a pretty decent little showing for the Tommies compared to what I anticipated it might have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but this one hurts. Mankato yep. travel or. Sorry, Saint Cloud traveled to Mankato. Actually, uh, Mankato winning three-one and four-to-one respectively. The Huskies needed at least one of these to stay pat. They flip flopped in the standings as a result of this, and really kind of put themselves out of contention of maybe catching Duluth. I think uh, mm-hmm. heading into the rest of the season here. So Duluth uh, what six straight, right? Yeah, they've looked really good. Um. Mankato winning three to one on Friday night. Attendance was 287. Also something that drives me nuts. Uh, you know, I know this one was in Mankato, but for the home games, especially, especially if there's a home and home at the Herbrooks National Hockey Center. Make sure you're going out and checking out the, this women's team. They can use the support for sure. Uh, but yeah, so uh, the only St. Cloud goal was actually the first one. Svenja uh from Addie Scribner a minute and 36 into this one. Uh, but then it was all Mankato, Kelsey King, Sidney Langseth, and Claire Buterak, uh, with the empty netter there. Shots 25 aside, uh, the Huskies outshot Mankato in the first period, were outshot by two in period number two and period number three for a 25-25 margin. St. Cloud had the lone two power plays of the contest, and... Did not capitalize on either and also lost the faceoff battle 20 for 52. Uh, 38.5% of the draw, Nick. Um, yeah, not good. Jojo Chobeck was good, though, 22 of 24 for a 917. And Lauren Barbaro, 24 of 25 for a 960 on the other side here. Um, anything you wanted to say, or do we want to move on to Saturday? It's going And, and, go to Saturday other? and recap. T- Attendance 233, 4 to 1. Mankato winning this one. Shots 41 to 18. Yeah. For Mankato, the Mavs, and night number two, 14 to 5, 11, 7, 16, 6 periods, respectively. Nobody's scoring on the power play. St. Cloud was 0 for 1 and Mankato 0 for 4. So the PK has been, it's interesting. You look at the men's and women's teams, the PK has been literally the cornerstone of this women's team it's been exceptional the way that they their kill rate uh taylor wemple kennedy bobek sydney langseth and madison mashuga all scoring for mankato of course uh taylor wemple the former husky and then avery myers unassisted uh, in period number one her second of the season for the huskies who were 20 for 49 in the face-off circle at 40.8 percent Sonia Hola stopped 37 of 41 for a nine Oh two, not bad considering the shot volume and Alexa Berg stopped all but one on the 18. She faced for a nine forty-four. So Nick, this St. Cloud team, they dropped to six. They're at 19 points, Mankato vaulting them from 16 points to 22 uh, Minnesota Duluth ahead of both of them by 11 or more at 33 points. So really the five and six spots battling uh, essentially to see who's going to face Duluth versus Wisconsin here. Kind of a disappointing week for the women's team.
1: It is disappointing uh, again because you know you 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 had control a bit in the situation again. You nineteen points, um, three up of man of Minnesota State. Yeah, you have won at least one of them. You would have been at twenty two, you know, in regulation, and you would have kept Minnesota State in your rearview disk for the foreseeable future. But now you drop two, so you up six. You're now uh, like you said now in sixth place. Um, so it really is between. The Mavericks and St. Cloud now for that fifth spot. Um and yeah,
0: had had a real good shot on Friday. I mean, the game winner came halfway through period number three plus an empty netter. I mean, that was a good hockey game, but it Saturday's was. contest was really flat. It
1: was. And you know, is it interesting? I know, we we've talked about this women's team and, and the strides that they've made, right? And there's still some weekends where, you know, they just it doesn't seem to click, doesn't seem to get there. But is it good that we're disappointed? Noah, does that mean that our expectations are high? You know, and I think we, I want to mention that too, because it used to be where we go in these weekends and it didn't matter who we played. And let's just say that the expectations were were not great. And now it's like, we're kind of complaining that they're losing, um, uh, I guess, you know, playoffs, you know, not playoff seedings, but, you know, uh, I should say conference standings, you know, yeah. kind of position Mid- middle of the pack teams vying for home ice, right? Yeah, like exactly. So, and Grandin Duluth has
0: been on a run. I mean, yeah. six, six, nothing, six and over the past six. It's crazy how two and a half weeks can completely change things, mm-hmm. you know? So, and, and at the end of it, you
1: know, this team has still made strides. You know, if there's one thing that, you know, we've, continue to say the WCHA, they're still very top happy. Again, Minnesota, Ohio State, Wisconsin. Um, but St. Cloud is making a case that, you know, especially with the leadership under Brian Idolsky, that um, I think they have turned things around. There's no question. Um, do they need some more consistency offensively? Yes. Um, if you look at the shot totals in period number two, they just weren't enough. Uh, as you mentioned, flat. I think that's a perfect uh, you know description of what happened in that game, which was not a whole lot offensively. Um, so if, if they're able to... Just keep that consistency up. That's the big thing. Again, if they can just continue to work on that, um, they will still be a tough out, um, but um, good to see that again. And we talked about it a couple of weeks ago, they've already matched last year's win total already. Yeah. So successful season, I guess, you know, we still want them to continue to move up the ladder. Um, WCHA and college hockey on the women's side too. It can also be a little chaotic. So, um, but again, you gotta, you gotta kind of forget about this uh, disappointing last weekend. And I got to look ahead and, you know, try to do what you can with uh Uh, What you got next week?
0: Midgy State is 1-17. They'll be the Huskies opponent in two weeks, which is a big weekend for St. Cloud to grab some points there. But, of course, next weekend, they'll have Ohio State, who is second right now in the WCHA at 46 points, Minnesota at 47, Wisconsin at 38. They have the potential to be caught by Duluth actually Um, (laughs) Duluth at 33 Minnesota state Mankato at 22 they're 7 and 11 St. Cloud at 19 at 6 and 12 in the conference Huskies are 13 and 12 overall Mankato 13 and 11 overall so these two teams really doing battle pretty similar groups St. Thomas with eight points and Bemidji State pulling up the rear so what's on tap for the WCHA. Minnesota will travel to Bemidji. Mankato will travel to Wisconsin Saturday, Sunday. So you'd like to see the Badgers maybe come out with a victory there or two. Duluth will travel to St. Thomas. So you'd like to see you'd like to see the Tommies have success because they're still far enough away from St. Cloud that I think the Huskies are safe, but yeah, uh, we'll maybe on an eight-game winning streak by the end of the weekend. We'll yeah, we'll have to see St. Thomas, uh, an okay showing against the Gophers, though, so we'll see if they can have some magic. That's a Saturday-Sunday matchup as well. And then Friday, Saturday, Ohio State visits the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center at home. This OSU team is very good. Huskies have their work cut out for them here. I do I'd like to see them. I would say a successful weekend taking any points for sure but i would say if you can take one win that would be a a certainly a very successful weekend they they have the ability to do it they've shown it against these high-end teams in the WCHA, but ohio state they saw them in weekend one of the WCHA gauntlet essentially and Mm -hmm. uh was not pretty for this team so uh curious to see how they handle the buckeyes if they can handle them at all but uh anything that you you feel about this team as they prepare for a really tough test well,
1: and again, we talk about how this team has grown. So what have you, you know, as far as the team, you know, you're looking at yourself in the mirror. What, what sort of improvements have you made since week one? Again, I was up there calling those games against Ohio State. And as you mentioned, they weren't pretty. And uh, it, uh, it reminded us theres still work to be done. Uh, but also, there were at times where you look and say, okay, this team is looking better. Structurally, again, on the breakout offensively, um, but can they execute, right? I think that's the big thing. Can St. Cloud execute some of those things offensively Uh, because defensively at times, do they get hemmed in? Yes. At times, do they uh, maybe, you know, get a little discombobulated, disorganized? Sure. That's any hockey team, but can you take advantage of your offensive opportunities? That's where St. Cloud has to be better Um, going back to October now into January. So uh, we'll see what they can do. You know, Ohio State's also improved. So It'll be a good, shall we say, litmus test as to where they have been since the first week of the season and now to midway point. So I'll, I'd be curious to see what they do.
0: Of course, it is a home and home for men and women, 3 o'clock on Friday, 2 o'clock Saturday for the women's program. So if you like a weekend of hockey, there's your opportunity. Uh, heading down south to St. Paul, well, not really. They're on the road. The Minnesota Wild here, we take a look at the NHL gauntlet here. It had a pretty decent little week, 4-3 shootout loss against the Rangers, then victories against the Islanders in Arizona, 3-1 and 2-1 respectively. Now 24-14-4 and four with 52 points. They have a plus-16 goal differential, so that improved by 2 over uh, this week compared to last. Uh, they are 5-3-2 in their last 10, but Colorado was one point back of... Minnesota with a game in hand last Tuesday morning. They are now seven points back as of recording with a game in hand. So uh, Minnesota doing a very good job taking care of business last week. They will be on a pretty lengthy four game road swing. They will head to Washington on Tuesday, Carolina on Thursday. That'll be a tough test and Florida on Saturday. And then they'll also be in Tampa next Tuesday before coming home on Thursday to face the Flyers. So. You look at this uh, Minnesota Wild team, by the way, all-star voting ends in a couple days, January 17th. So, Kuril Kaprizov is in, but if you want other Wild players to be in, go check that out as well. But this Wild team, kind of staying pat, trending in the right direction. Uh, the Rangers game left a little bit to be desired, but good bounce-back wins in the, in their last two. Uh, anything you want to mention about the Wild?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for, for the most part, the Rangers game was a bit disappointing, uh, just in the sense that I, I thought that they didn't, they weren't as crisp in that game. Um, and holy cow, that first line for New York, um, yikes. And with Adam Fox in the blue line, the things that he can do, he's disgusting. We'll spread yeah. that one. Um, but that worries me a little bit because I was at the home opener against the Rangers and that was to say, well, it was an ass kicking to say the least. Um, yeah. But you kind of wonder still, yeah, the defensive side of things have improved. But still, with some of those really high skilled type teams that have, you know, and the Rangers to me, they're a deep team, but they're not like a scary deep team because they sort of had their ups and downs too since uh, the beginning of the season when. A lot of teams thought that they would be in a much better position. They're still doing okay. Um, They're still third in the uh, in the Metropolitan Division uh, with 55 points. So you know they're still having a decent look, but
0: it goes to show that pretty much comparable to Minnesota.
1: Yeah, pretty comparable. Um, But it does show that sometimes the Wild against these you know skilled lines they can get hemmed in quite a bit. Um, And if there's anything that I took away from that is you know towards the end of the game where New York was really pushing that Sabanajad. Uh, Kreider was out with injury at that point, but uh, who does, was his advantage? And who else was it? Panarin, yeah. And then Adam Fox, and then it was it uh, who did they slide up was that Hedl? that slid yeah, up a Phillip couple Hedel. times? Yep. Yeah, um, that's a nasty combination. And they really gave Wilds fits trying to get out of their own zone. So um, that's the one curious piece for me. But again, like you said, I thought they rebounded in a nice gritty one against the Islanders. Uh, you know, that there was not a lot of room for anything in that game. Uh, so Happy with it, but still hold concerns defensively um, as they move forward against some of these more skilled opponents, Tampa Bay, Carolina, Washington. uh, Just name a few in Florida, though, that they've been stumbling. They still have some pretty decent talent down there. So this is going to be a very important road test. Try to clean some things up in front of the the goaltending.
0: Kuro Kaprizov sits 13th in the NHL in points with a plus one goal differential. 25 goals, 27 assists, 52 points in 42 games. Uh, Also interesting, Eric Carlson is dash four but he's seventh on this list at 56 points just shows how good of a season he has had and how yes. terrible San Jose is yep. um, Connor McDavid leads the league with 83 points in 45 That's games stupid you know what's That's even stupid. more stupid goal what do you think Connor McDavid's goal differential is goal differential like it's plus minus well it's Edmonton so it can't be that good plus 10 plus 3 oh Imagine having eighty-three point. I'm sure a lot of them come on the power play. But play yeah, yeah. Uh, the best statistical leaders in your top ten: Jason Robertson for Dallas at plus twenty-five. David Posternack at plus twenty. No surprise there. Austin, so, yep. Austin Matthews is at seventeen at plus eighteen. By the way, too. Elias Pettersson is plus eleven. By the way, um, if there's wow. one player that I would give multiple first-round
1: picks for to trade for, it'd be Elias Pettersson for yeah. Vancouver. Um, why do Why do the Wild need a center? They need a couple centers, <laughs> uh, but you know just just what he can do with the puck, the the time and space he creates. He still can shoot the puck. He's a great distributor, and uh, if anything, yeah, defensively there's still something to be desired in his game. But offensively, man, and, and the power play, he can quarterback a power play um, pretty damn well for the Canucks and. Uh, yeah. yeah, we'll we'll be talking more Vancouver here
0: in a little bit, so we'll yeah
1: we'll for that for later.
0: The only other point per game player for the Wild, uh, Matt Zuccarello, forty four points in forty games played. Seneck, thirty three and forty two. Looking to see if there's anybody else that is a point per game He's player. Dude, really good lately too, Erikssonak. Holy cow. D- Due to injury, there is not one. Um, Yeah, interesting, the defensive core. We'll talk about this, too, but Alex Goligosky has become a true seventh defenseman for the Wild here. So something that we maybe kind of anticipated a little bit. But, yeah, the Wild obviously have to take care of business here. Have a good chance here. You know, I think they could do a little bit of damage on this road swing. I mean, it's not out of the question. Carolina will be a tough test, but Washington has not had the greatest of seasons. Florida, like you mentioned, has been up and down. So the Lightning will be a tough test, but the Wild handled them last week. So, Mm mm-hmm. You know, should be interesting. That one will be at Amelie, Tampa of course,
1: not win in St. Paul, but on the flip side, Minnesota can also not win in Tampa either. So it's been kind of a a whole yeah. team hold serve in that uh, that series as of recent history.
0: Yeah, so that will be at Amelie, of course, the future site of this year's Frozen Four here okay. in the college hockey world as well, too. So uh, with that being said, that will do it for the main portion of the show. We'll head on to our extra session where we will talk about the Vancouver Canucks, like you mentioned, and also some more Minnesota Wild stuff, including a guy by the name of Matt Dumba. And welcome into the Extra Ice Session, Nick Maxson with myself, Noah Grant, here on the Huskies Warming House Podcast, episode 145 here. And, uh, well, let's stick with the Minnesota Wild at least to start because that's yep. what we were just discussing here. Rumors both Edmonton and Ottawa seeking a little bit of interest in Matt Dumba at least. And we talked about Matt Dumba being a serviceable enough defenseman where if you get him at $2, 2500000 million dollars a year, he's still worth the money. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this season, of course, will be a UFA after this year, his contract finally up. And, you know, is he a guy that you think, you know, is a trade deadline, trade bait? I'd like your percentages here. Yeah, What is is the percentage that Matt Dumba, essentially, it's going to be a three-way percentage here. So this might test you a little bit. Trade deadline, walks in free agency, stays with Minnesota via re-signing in free agency. What are your percentages? Trade deadline, less than 1% really wow yes. okay well
1: think about it if edmonton's calling why would you help out a potential western conference foe that's also got stanley Cup aspirations
0: simple answer because you lose him for nothing otherwise you know what at this point i'm okay with that i'm okay with that because it
1: doesn't mean you lose him for nothing because that's also assuming he doesn't resign
0: here's here and I, that and that's what i want to know your your next percentage there but also with that the other talk is the other reason you don't trade him is because Alex galagaski has not been serviceable enough in that seven defenseman role to be a mainstay in the lineup and elevate somebody exactly. you need so, him you need him yeah and i don't disagree so I, but 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 how much how much do you think you can re-sign him versus is he going to walk in free agency you know, that's interesting because now that you, you know there's. Te- you, you've got 99% left, by the way.
1: <laughs> you know, now that there's teams that have discussed interest, um, that. You see, here, here's my thing, though. You, you, he's not going to the trade deadline if you're in a playoff position. If the Wild were more of a bubble team or they're struggling to be in a playoff spot, I think the conversation's different, right? Um, the Ottawa Senators maybe make sense. Um, but again, it depends on the return. You need a serviceable defenseman in return. Now, what's been hugely laughable is the rumors of Jacob of Jacob Chikrin and the Wild having interest. That's a complete and total farce. I don't know who the hell is spreading that line of shit around. I hate to say it that aggressively, <laughs> but it's totally terrible. Um, the Wild do not have the assets to get them to want to give up those assets. Remember, we're going to have $14 million in dead cap the next two years, and you need first-round picks, and yeah. Arizona wants first-round picks plus young prospects in that trade. You don't have that, nor can you afford to give that up. So the Wild have zero interest in Jacob Chirkin. I'm putting that to bed, so shut up. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> All righty then.
1: I know, right? Um, <laughs> but to me, it's more of like 49 50, uh, and, You know, for him to walk or to – and here's the thing. After the season, you can still trade him. He's still yeah. under your control until July 1. So it's not like you can't trade him. Look at the Alex Debrinka trade, right? Chicago yeah. got him before the trade deadline. Um, so you can still make a deal happen. Now, at the end of it, the free agency market for a second pairing or a third pairing defenseman, you can replace that in free agency. I'm not saying that you want to, but you have opportunities there if it comes down to that. At the end of it, you still have Alex Galagoski under control for another year. So even if it's there, okay, fine, right? Um, So I'm not as concerned about Dumba going in that sense. There's no way to me that Bill Guerin makes a move on Matt Dumba before the end of the season. To me, it just doesn't
0: make sense. It just doesn't make sense. So let's say, let's say Billy Guerin gets hit on the head and doesn't make sense. According to you, I'm I'm just, I'm just, that's just to set up the, the question here. If you're a playoff team that is looking for a push and wants Matt Dumba, you want him badly. What, kind of offer would be acceptable for Minnesota to listen to? It's a great question. Um, You well, you need a serviceable defenseman
1: in return one, and then probably at least a second round draft pick. Honestly, I mean, that to me is where you're at because you got to replace him. Again, he is a mainstay in your lineup. He's eating 16 to 20 minutes a night. You can't just give him up for futures. You, and especially with the wilds, you know, cap situation, you have to, now. know, again, I know we, everybody knows the cap situation. We know that 6 million comes off of the board at some point next season in some capacity. Right. right. But that is what you need. Somebody in return that is at least going to be able to eat up those minutes and also is going to be able that you would probably feel comfortable resigning too. Right. Cause at the end of it, you're going to have to have somebody with shorter term be feel comfortable resigning. There's just a lot of moving parts there but more importantly noah let's what's let's, let's flip the question a little bit why is a playoff team currently third in the central you got a seven point cushion on next place Colorado. why would you give up assets in this situation
0: yeah, no, it's interesting. And I was just kind of trying to take a look at teams that maybe would make sense. I was looking at Detroit, for example. You know, like, for example, Detroit has like Olimada in the same situation, 28 years old. He's 2.25 yep. 2. mil, uh, and he's going to be a UFA for this season. So I think a lot of other teams are going to be in a similar boat. And that's the thing. It's like, if you're the wild and you lose Matt Dumbo, would you take a guy like Olimata? You know, it, does, he, does he deserve a look? You know what I mean? So here's,
1: there's a look, but here's the thing, you know, let's go back to the... Martin Hansel trade and the Ryan White trade, because it really became about the Ryan White trade after, after it was all said and done. Um, making a trade that, and essentially why I'm bringing that up is you made a trade you didn't have to make. right? Yeah. You, you essentially you know, essentially told the hockey community that my chips are all in, I'm, I'm trading for Martin Hansel, I get Ryan White, even though Ryan White was actually the better performer in that trade. But you didn't have to though, the locker room was fine, the, the team was good you made a move for the sake of making a move. And I think a lot of the chatter surrounding Matt Dumba, especially mid-season, is a move that they don't have to make. And I think if you were to ask Billy Guerin, he would say the same thing. Look, I don't need yeah. to do it, right? Now, if Matt Dumba's game has fallen off a cliff, again, we talked about Galagoski. You mentioned he's, he's shown to be, like I said, a true seventh defenseman. He's been seeing more of the press box, right? Uh, Mason Shaw, too, now has been sort of you know the unlucky Forward in that same discretion. So what do you do with Mason Shaw? Right. Um, there's a lot of questions here, but there are questions that you don't have to act on right this second. So they're in a good position. To me, these are situations where you deal with after the season's done and not midseason. Matt Dumb is not going
0: anywhere. uh on the end of the year. Listen, I get it. You want Anthony D'Angelo at two years left or one year after at $5 because he's a great character guy. I understand. No, I, want, I get it. I want it.
1: Oliver X. men Larson because he's got that you know contract that you can give him for another five years. That's what I want. <laughs> I want stability, <laughs> yeah. man.
0: You, you want control. <laughs> I want control. Yeah. Uh, well, let's talk about the Vancouver Canucks, our last topic of the show today. Uh, well, let's talk about a guy, first of all. Uh, let's break this down. A guy by the name of J. T. Miller. Um, J.T. Miller. And- J.T. Motherfucker yeah yeah i uh, you, you just like to make me edit this sh- i had to edit out your bombs last week and i got to do it again now i got to write the timestamp stamp here um uh, I'll, so I'll keep, it's i'll keep them low i'm sorry ah uh, kids um so it's 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 interesting on the other side of things too is that you know jt miller really came to light when he essentially smacked the back of the net when he was waiting uh for the net minder who had to come oh, back dude, into right? the yeah. yeah had to come back in the net because the Canucks were back in their own zone, which is pretty powerful. the skated,
1: He himself skated the puck back and was yeah. essentially trying to use the goaltender to get the extra skater to do the break. Yeah.
0: It's like, no, there was, the, there was a lot of talk about the back check he had against Calgary. I don't know that that one was as egregious because he was so far behind the play that he's really yeah. not going to be a factor there. But there was another back check uh, in the last game. I forget who was it. Winnipeg that they were playing. No, right. wait, who are they playing? Why do I feel like it wasn't Winnipeg? Anyway, uh, it was essentially no, Tampa. That's what they were playing. I think Tampa. No, you, you might be right here. Let me, um, I'll
1: try to grab the scores. How about
0: that? Yeah. And essentially it was a two on one where he was supposed to pick up for sure. The third trailer, um, but the defenseman didn't come with, and he essentially was in no man's land, not helping out at all. Back checking there. i ended up in the back of the net. So uh, this JT Miller contract for seven years uh, and just over 50 million does not kick in until next year, next season. So, mm-hmm. He sounds like a bit of a head case in this Vancouver locker room, which does not help compared to everything else that's going on in Vancouver. But starting there, what is this conundrum with JT Miller, who really, when he came into the league, was kind of touted as this third line guy who worked hard and kept his mouth shut and earned his opportunity? what is the deal here is there a bit of entitlement feeling like you know now he's getting on a big boy contract here or vancouver also sucks like like what's the deal here
1: i think it's a bit of both because you gotta remember he kicked in the league with the new york rangers who then subsequently traded him and that kind of shocked the hockey world and then you know he's part of tampa and then he's again shipped off to vancouver why do i bring that up i, I think there's some underlying things there that have always kind of been with him. And when you're in a program such as the Vancouver Canucks, and you're not having the success, sometimes those negative aspects get amplified, right? Um, And, oh, wait, did the wild, did we want? I mean, I'll admit, I wanted JT Miller as a center because of, you know, he was putting up points. And now with some of the things that have come out in terms of his supposed leadership, if that's what you want to call it, it's it's been a real negative look for him and the organization so um like you said it's stuck for seven years too and uh what the flat cap that we know it uh there's no way to move that contract either that's they're stuck with that one it's like a you know travis screen all over again um oh my gosh so <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, yeah go ahead. go ahead i don't know and it just it, it's it's disappointing more than anything because i i get it you know when you're a professional athlete and Especially last year. Last year they pushed. You know, Bruce Rudell came in, and that team was on the rise. They were doing better. They was just a little bit too late for them. And then this year they just they just they didn't can, you know carry over to this season. And, and he's a guy that wants to win, right? He's a guy that you you can you can say okay, there's passion there. Uh, you know, he's just trying to win games. But you know, when you're slamming your stick you have the uh, look like you're not back checking in a play. You're yelling at your own goaltender. Hey, get the hell off the ice. Even though I'm making the play back towards the net, um, which is not the way hockey works. The last time I checked, um, but you know, it just seems like he's kind of become a pariah more than anything. And not a true leader. Um, no, granted, we don't know everything that happens, you know, you know, behind closed doors, but the way that the perception is, is that I mean, he's, he's not necessarily the guy that you're, you're going to on the bench for, you know, a lot of good heart to heart
0: talks. We'll put it that yeah. way. Well, you look at Vancouver. They're at 37 points. Uh, essentially, to catch a wild card, they would need a uh, No, sorry, 14 points to even be in the conversation. So it's not looking great for them. No, uh, they they're are. Not- they are right. third to last in the Pacific, so they've really slipped as of late. Uh, Quinn Hughes made some interesting remarks about Tanner Pearson's third hand surgery in about uh, two and a half months span. Here,
1: I've got some saying, comments on that. Saying
0: saying that it was well, saying that it was mismanaged, and uh, um, interestingly enough, the Canucks put out a statement today that they were investigating the handling of their own <laughs> player. I that kind of sounds like the whole Boston Bruins Mitchell Miller thing, um, but. You thought Quinn Hughes's comments were a little interesting. Did you think they were yeah. off base on base? Here's the thing we don't know. And that's the thing is the
1: assumption is when when a player says that's mishandled, the assumption is that's a Canucks problem. Who the hell knows if Quinn Hughes knows what the hell he's talking about? Here's why I say that you're in the medical field. Um, I happen to know a few people that work in the medical field and. Let's just say that this was a surgical problem. Let's just say that he had a surgery and then
0: the surgical yeah. team you know, yeah. screwed up and there was so, an infection. So, Yeah, so the second one was actually as a result of that. It ended up being where the wound didn't heal properly and had a, a bit of a minor infection. So they had to essentially reopen it. And Okay, this is getting a little bit technical, but when wounds heal... Sometimes you like to leave them open or you want to preserve what's called granulation tissue. And then when wounds aren't healing properly, so they get that granulation tissue gets infected, you have to decide, can we handle this infection and save that granulation tissue to let it do its job and create scars or healing, you know, how it would heal normally? Or do you essentially kind of dig that all out and redo the surgery and take everything out and redo it again? So yeah. So so to my thing is, I, I think the Vancouver Canucks in
1: this situation are being kind of misproportionate and blamed for this. And and I, I again, we don't know. But I, I would say that it's curious. The Vancouver, I think the, the Canucks were kind of forced to put out a statement because, again, everybody's in a box, right? They're, they're, the, the, the hyper focus is, oh, wait a minute. This is obviously the Canucks medical staff or the Canucks training staff, even though um, they asked Quinn Hughes to clarify that. And I think he even said, I'm not pointing the finger at anyone but I think what he's doing is simply saying that, okay, he got injured. He's trying to get it fixed. It isn't getting it fixed. In fact, there's been all these side tracks and I'm pissed for my teammate. That's how I see it. Yeah. And again, we don't know everything. And personally to me, if it, if it were me, I think it has more to do with the surgical team than it is for the Vancouver Canucks, uh, the medical staff. But again, we don't know. I just, it's, I think it's kind of the whole thing's kind of thing being blown out of proportion to be honest with you. Yeah. Um, and I, I, would put my money that this is less of a Canucks tr- uh, training slash medical staff issue more than it was the surgical team issue. That's
0: sounds like training. a lot. Of, sounds like a lot of just individual issues all around in Vancouver right yeah. now. None of which, of course, Trustation. is yep. is hampered by the fact that Bo Horvat is probably out. Brock Besser was almost scratched the season, and now Oliver Ekman Larson, with five years remaining, including the season at seven point two six mil really? per year, was scratched the other night. You know, Nick. Speaking of Oliver Ekman Larson's old team like dare i say i would almost maybe want to be in arizona right now the way that things are transpiring <laughs> like, in vancouver
1: you're yeah, not wrong like, like you're not um and in fact you know come may arizona might be awarded a brand new you know arena facility or we may change that and say, "Oh crap, they struck it down," uh, yeah. and then we're back to Vancouver being the second to worst, you yeah. know, burning dumpster fire in the and, NHL.
0: And I know that this draft class is supposed to be decent, but the thing that really bites for Vancouver is even though they had a poor start to the season, they had a decent little middle half for their last couple of month and a half or whatever. So, like, tank for Bedard isn't really all that feasible. It's not out of the question, but they're not really in that echelon yet. They're they'd be picking around seven or eight right now. So, because you can only move up, what, four spots, right? uh, Maximum
1: of four. I thought it was five, but if, f- heck of I know <laughs> it's, it's not a ton, right? So they're, they're not there is what we're trying to say. They're kind of like the Houston, the Houston Texans right
0: now, where they're screwing up their own tank. Yeah. Like literally. <laughs> what, 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 what was the deal with that? I don't also, know. Um, also speaking of football, by the way, cause we're excited about the Vikings and hopefully we're talking about them next week in a good way. But how about the comeback by the Jags last night, by the way, wow. too. Holy smokes. Uh,
1: how do you throw four interceptions and win a playoff game?
0: That's um, insane. like that. You know, what's interesting. Yeah. They talked, they talked about how I, um, the Jag starting QB has never lost on a Saturday college NFL. I'm just saying. Meaningless, but okay. Um, we forgot one thing. <laughs> about um, with Vancouver. Um, unless you
1: play on a Saturday, but okay. That's true. Um, <laughs> but we forgot about another thing with Vancouver, Bruce Bredore, um, Elliot Friedman saying that there will be a coaching change and they expect Rick Tockett to be the replacement. A lot of people are giving, Elliot Friedman, crap for this. I almost said it. Thank you. Um, Yeah. I caught
0: myself there. OEL needs a little help from his buddy, right? right? Um, Phil Kessel's coming with, right? Probably. Uh,
1: No, (laughs) he's not. Um, You know, it's interesting because it's like, what do you want Elliot Friedman to do? If his sources are telling him these things, his job is to report it. He's not the one that's leaking the information, right? So as a reporter, you're going with what's been told you.
0: Would you like to open up a can of worms on this show to finish the show out? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so this has nothing to do with NHL hockey. We're going to go back to the NAHL. Um, okay. So Chase LaPinta for the Minot Minotauros, by the way. This is this is a, this is a crash course in journalism and media reporting, which, of course, yeah. Nick Nick and I know. Um, so Chase LaPinta and Hunter Longing are both on point streets. Hunter Longing actually just set a Toro record last night for longest consecutive He's in the second in the league in scoring too. He is. He yes. is. Um, and just has a he has twenty five points in fifteen games. He might be the first Toro to hit sixty points. Um, yeah, it's pretty impressive. AIC commit, by the way, for those who are wondering. Um, so his point streak was on the line, and he tallied a point in the game prior on Friday night. Chase Lapinta had had thirteen goals in ten games. Had he scored the night before he ended up scoring on Saturday, but had he scored on Friday, he would have tied the NHL record for consecutive games with a goal, right? Would have been 11 games with a goal. So about five games prior to this, Ken Oda, who of course does a really good job as my play-by-play guy um, in mind, has been there for 11 seasons out of the 12 Toro seasons. And he talked about uh, essentially he went and did his own personal ding. So the NHL, essentially st- statistical modern era, Statcast, whatever you want to call it for, for the null, has been around since 2004. So he went back since the inception of the modern statistics and looked who had these consecutive game point streaks and compiled all of these streaks together manually and found that after like six or seven games in a row with a goal, Chase Lapinto was inching up on some of these records. He has the Toro record, but was inching up on league records since 2004. The, the record was set by a guy from Bozeman who now no longer has an NA team, has an NA three team instead. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of a no name guy that had this consecutive point streak, your goal streak record. So we started talking about it on the air that chase Lapenta, another goal, another game, you know, he's continuing to climb up. And finally he's second in the null and had a chance to tie it on Friday night. So of course we had started this story based on the great research by Ken manually looking up these records KX News jumped on the story. The local Minot Daily News jumped on the story and talked about this sort of thing. Of course, Chase LaPenta did not score on Friday. His streak ended one game shy of tying the record. He paced the team with seven shots on goal that night, had two breakaways and a wide open net that he was robbed with an errant blocker coming out. I mean, did everything he could have but score um, in that hockey game and then, of course, scored the next night and was, of course, frustrated with himself because that's just who he is in general. High expectations. He's the highest scoring rookie in the null. Arizona State commit a 2004, by the way. Um, the rookie. kid's the kid's yeah. an absolute stud. Um, and by the way, he's 5'9", 168, and he's rocking guys who are like 6'3". So it's pretty impressive. But with that being said, after the game, coaching staff, other people in the media, people around the rank on social media, their comment was that, we put way too much pressure on him as a media. Group. Oh, my God. <laughs> and, and and I know that was a long entrance to the story, but, you know, I made the argument that it's not like he went dash two without a shot on goal. Like he was electric. He was the best player on the ice and just didn't score. And this perception of the media in general that we've talked about, you know, the the sense that, oh, yeah, you're going to put pressure on a player f- from a media perspective. I've never understood that because, you know, it it goes back to, you know, what we were just kind of talking about with Vancouver, but it's like, you know, we talked to the players the day after and Chase is like, I didn't feel any pressure. All the players, I didn't feel any pressure. So I'm wondering why there's this perspective also at the NHL level where it's like similar to Elliot Friedman, right? Where he simply reports things he's hearing. And in our case reporting statistical facts and Mm -hmm. people like to pull this Why is this the case? I know everybody wants to have a say on Twitter and social media and feel validated, but why is it when media guys, and we clarified this and said, no, Chase Lepinto was electric. He felt no pressure and he just didn't. He ran into a good goaltending performance against Aberdeen. Why is it when a guy like Elian Friedman says the same thing? Why are people so inclined to not believe a guy that has so much experience at the NHL level doing his job? Michael Russo runs into the same thing with people. Well, yeah. Last year it was Michael
1: Russo versus Anson Carter. Um, yeah. I remember talking with Russo after that. I know he was you know, a, a bit in shambles with that, too, getting called out on national television. And for those who know Michael Russo, the allegations that Anson Carter thrown in his way was in no way, shape or form uh, yeah. true to his character or who he is as a player. I, I will stand behind Russo. Every day, all day, just because of the person that he is—not yeah. just as a reporter, but the person he is—he's just not the person uh, that he was being painted as uh, by some of those analysts on TNT. Yeah, for Elliot Friedman, um, he's essentially. The new bob mckenzie let's just say it right bob mckenzie was the bob father he was the guy on tsn for a number of years in fact decades that was sort of the encyclopedia to all things um hockey related all things new um i still remember okay. watching trade center back in we still on and there was two there were two um deaths there was the the front desk james duffy was there a couple of other analysts and then they had the back bench that was bob mckenzie pierre lebron and a couple and they're just sitting there typing in their blackberries like it would literally look like it was a like a witch's cauldron and you know it was it betrayed deadline and you know they would just blurt out oh uh zibanejad to to new york or something
0: like that you know just they would blurt out and he ended and he ended up being the godfather at the draft at the end because he thought oh i'll just do this at the end because i know how to do everything else like yeah so but the
1: point is is that these guys are well connected right they know the information and for Elliot friedman who's essentially you know, he's assumed that role again. It's can been more so just because of Bob McKenzie's you know retirement. He does some things here and there, but he's very much you know Bobby Margarita now, as he calls it. Um, yeah. yes, that is actually an actual product. It's a margarita in a can. You can get it in Canada. Yes, try it. I don't care. <laughs> uh, but you know, Friedman is a is an integral journalist. You know, he, he he's not just going to blurt out something that he doesn't feel is one true. Two, he can't bounce off a couple of different other people to make sure that it's right information and for people who think it's like the media is responsible for this okay so you take what's what's this go back to your perspective right say that we we don't take it out of it let's say he misses it and then someone says after the fact "Oh, did you know that you were one goal away on Saturday from tying to record does that change his performance right no. if Vancouver does make a coaching change and they do go to Rick Tockett, right? Does that change the information that's being exactly nothing, right?
0: And we're just, and, and we're let's say mes-
1: we're the messenger, man. yeah.
0: And let's say it's wrong. Let's say they do make a coaching sure. change, but it's not Rick Tockett. So there's a hint of truth and a hint of, oh, they wanted to change, but Rick Tockett wasn't their guy. And then they hire a new guy. Let's say they hire Travis Greenback, yay, right? Um, uh, it's not another question with Vancouver, <laughs> but, 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 but let's say this though. And people go, Oh, Elliot Friedman, look how he lied to us. It might've been, do you know all the things behind the scenes? Maybe Rick talk? It was the guy. And then they asked talk and talk said, nope. no, yep, right. There's things it. that
1: change. Right. Yeah. And it, it's, you know, and, and, going back to chase LaPinta and, and granted, you know, had a chance to, to watch him in lineup. He's an electric player. There's no, he's question disgusting. About he
0: might be the best player in Toro history. Besides Blake, Lazotte. he's that good. Yeah, he's yeah. he's fantastic. Um,
1: But the storyline, do the players give a right rear ends about those? No, they don't. No. He cares about scoring. But as a hockey player, that level again, Chase Lepinto has a future, right? He's an he's an Arizona State commit D1. He's going to be a good hockey player for the foreseeable future, right? Yeah. Um, They don't really care about that. Yeah, they care about scoring. Yeah, the record be nice, but they're not going to blame the media because the puck didn't go in the net. They're going to say no. That was just a hell of a save by the goaltender. And yeah. like you said, you know, when you're on the ice in that situation, instincts take over. And sometimes, as a goaltender, you just you stick out a pad. You know, the old scorpion kick from Martin Bruner.
0: That's yeah. not. You don't teach that, right? Just yeah. like I'm and, just going
1: to stop a puck.
0: And hockey goes that way. Of course, the next night he got a backdoor tap in on the power play. Right, just simple. That's the way games go. And yeah. it's interesting. We talked about this too, Chase Lapinta. Right. Let's say he tears it up at ASU. If he does good there, you know what's going to happen. This crazy thing is going to happen where the media is going to ask him questions and they're <laughs> going to write about him. Yes. No wow. No right. Camp. And and he's going to be no worse for wear because he's a great hockey player, obviously. So, it's, you know, it's, it's 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 interesting how they just they're shooting the messenger, and that's it's just like yeah. okay,
1: we're 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 not the ones that are moving the pieces, right? Yeah. We're just watching the pieces and,
0: move, or we're being told that these pieces are yeah.
1: moving, and. We're just telling others that this is what's happening.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and the and the and the Taros win that game for nothing with probably the most complete sixty minute effort of the season and the forty first shutout in Taro history, and it's overshadowed by all this brouhaha. And you know what's interesting? Where were all the pundits when he had seven goals in seven games? Nobody said anything, but we just started tracking it, and then it was like, "Oh, look at this! He's continuing to score. Check yep. this out!" You know, and just simply relaying the facts. So it's interesting, but factually stating. Final thoughts here. The Vancouver Canucks, what is the deal with them? Should we rather be heading to Arizona to at least have some sunshine if we're going to suck at hockey? And num- and lastly, Elliot Freeman's point, Rick Tockett or not, do the Canucks make a coaching change?
1: What's Vancouver is a, is a complicated puzzle, right? Here's what I'll say. The Vancouver Canucks have, avo- have been avoiding essentially a giant rebuild for a couple of years. I think we all know that. Um, I think it started even back a couple of years ago when – Bay. Even you know Brock Besser before his bridge deal, um, there were rumors that he was you know a trade bait. Um, to me, at this point, they just need to do it. They need to blow it up. Um, I think Bo Horvat uh, is out. Um, when he does, you know. So why are you laughing? Yeah. Well, because
0: you said blow it up, and that was a very throwback to. Oh yes, it was uh, the Kirill Kaprizov situation. Yes, l- when I he know. Was Blow supposed it up. to blow it, up. blow it up. blow it up. But. <laughs> But for real, I think that's where it is. And you know,
1: you can make a coaching change all you want, but it doesn't change the roster that's on the ice. It doesn't change the contracts that you have, especially long-term deals like Oliver ekman Larson. It doesn't change the JT Miller signing um, and the cap situation that not only you, but also the league is in where if you're trying to make sort of a rebuild it's more difficult now because if you're trying to get rid of some of these long-term contracts uh nobody can pick up these guys you know there's nowhere to send them you could send to arizona but even arizona might say no that's how bad it is Uh, so (laughs) um and uh you know arizona has kind of finally embraced that with their uh with uh, with doug armstrong down there in arizona where they've been they haven't really tried to tank before armstrong now they're actually okay now okay no we're we're offloading I still can't believe Jim Benning pulled away Oliver I Eckman. You can almost, for Arizona, thank Vancouver for taking on Oliver Eckman Larson because they took all of that extra draft, uh, that capital off of their books to be able to really do a deep dive rebuild. They have a ton of picks coming up and ideally a new place to play here. Hopefully, we get some good news if you're a Coyotes fan in May with, again, that public vote on that entire uh, district there um, in the Tempe area. So, yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know if a coach changes anything. Um, I think they need a, an entire uh, roster overhaul again. Their captain, Bo Horvat, has been rumored to be on the move. If he goes, um, there's more likely to follow. I would, and, and again, they've asked him, is there anybody that's untouchable? And it's the only person that I wanted, Elias Pettersson right now. is the only, So that yes. means even Quinn Hughes, if a deal is good enough, could also be on the move. So you could see a full-scale rebuild with Vancouver. That's where I see it. And to me, that's where they've been needed that's what they've needed and they've avoided it for a few years
0: yeah send them to Quebec right um (laughs) oh you know Quebec City yeah yeah why not don't they oh yeah yeah and Arizona's (laughs) headed to Hartford um with with that being said I just don't make it Atlanta uh with that being said I I think that will do it for the main portion of the show men's hockey and women's hockey both at home against Ohio State for the women, Denver for the men. So definitely get to the Herb Brooks National Hockey Center. Minnesota Wild, uh, four-game road swing. Washington on Tuesday, Carolina Thursday, Florida Saturday, and Tampa Bay next Tuesday. Uh, with that being said, for Nick Maxon, I'm Noah Grant. As Nick likes to say, of course, have a wonderful week from the den, and of course, go Taros. One timer they score.
1: and she scores! Dana Rasmussen for the Huskies. Dwayne Kaprizov in for a chance to win it. He scores! Kirill, the thrill is for real. Welcome to the NHL, a game winner.
0: St. Cloud Cathedral is now 42.6 seconds
1: away from wrapping up the school's first ever title.